In Tijuana, there is a demographic shift in who is seeking asylum to enter the U.S. Nearly 6,000 migrants from Africa have traveled to the city, which is a drastic increase from the year prior. For many African migrants, the road to Tijuana is more dangerous than others, as they face more language and cultural barriers than those from Central America. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is Border Dispatch, a special episode of your San Diego News Fix. Gustavo Solis, you're part of the border team at the Union-Tribune. And recently, there seems to be a bit of a demographic shift when it comes to migrants that are seeking asylum at the border. What's new? Well, I guess the shift, it, it hasn't really happened recently. It's been happening over time, but nobody's uh-huh. really paid too much attention to it. And it's mm-hmm. kind of happened silently. Uh, and that big shift is the growing number of migrants from African countries traveling through Mexico to get to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And we've been hearing a lot about the migrants coming, particularly from Northern Triangle countries. But what are the forces that are causing migrants to come from Africa? What's the unrest there? It varies by country. Um, the This last year, the biggest population was from Cameroon, and they're going through uh, some civil unrest over there between the English-speaking population and the French-speaking population. So mm-hmm. they're fleeing uh, war over there. Uh, other parts... Um, uh, other people flee um, things like famine, ethnic conflicts, uh, d- political turmoil, political unrest. It just depends on where specifically they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And you've already mentioned Cameroon. And are there any other countries that are seeing a lot more migrants? Uh, Ghana has been one where mm-hmm. migrants have been increasing. Uh, Ethiopia, Eritrea, Togo are also um, some African countries that generally tend to send a lot of um, migrants up mm-hmm. through Mexico. And so what are some of the challenges that these migrants face? Because at least for Central American migrants, they have, they, you know, majority of them speak Spanish comparatively. So that transition isn't as difficult. But what about these Africans? Right. Well, I think, first of all, it's important to note that for anybody, the trek up north is super, super difficult. Yes. Uh, it's dangerous. There are high uh, percentages of people being robbed, beaten, uh, women being raped, uh, children being kidnapped. So that independently of where you come from, there's no discrimination there, right? It's kind of shitty for everybody. Mm-hmm. With the African migrants and even the just black migrants in general, those who come from South America or Caribbean countries, they face the added layer of uh, racism, discrimination, um, and cultural barriers, language barriers, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're traveling through a country where they don't speak the language and they don't know the customs. And the people from those areas don't know their customs. So there's a lot of uh, miscommunication, misinterpretation uh, that fuels a tense situation already. Mm -hmm. And typically, what's the route that these Africans are taking to get to Mexico in the first place? Uh, There's two of them. Um, For a while, it was through Brazil. Uh, Now it's, it's... you know, more more commonly is through Ecuador. So they will fly uh, from their country of origin to Ecuador, and some of them will literally walk from Ecuador mm-hmm. uh, to the the Guatemala Mexico border. Mm-hmm. You know, they they go through jungles, they go through cities, they sleep on the street, they sleep in buses, uh, and a lot of them die. There's no stats keeping track of this specifically from African migrants in South and Central America, but anecdotally, the human rights workers on the ground, the lawyers who um, talk to this population, 
repeatedly hear stories about travel companions dying from something as simple as uh, there, there was this one woman, I forget exactly where she was from, but she's 21. She was about six months, seven months pregnant. The father of her child uh, died in the jungle after he got stung by a mosquito. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I imagine traveling to a different part of the world that you're not from exposes you to diseases and other challenges that your body isn't used to. So in a sense, it makes sense why at this kind of trek, which is already difficult, would be more deadly for Africans that you know are not from this part of the world versus people coming from the Northern Triangle, I'd imagine. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but it, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. it's it's the same. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. not exposed to to the climate over here or or the the biology. Mm-hmm. Certainly, and so in Tijuana, there has been a variety of different nonprofits and religious organizations that have been trying to help migrants of all stripes and colors. Has there been kind of a caucus of sorts for Africans there? Yes, there has. Um, uh, they would say not as much as is needed, but mm-hmm. it has been growing to kind of meet the demand. And and both uh, in the story, I talked to people from two different organizations, a Haitian Bridge Alliance and another organization uh, based up in L.A. And both of those started their work um, really sort of just kind of naturally, right? Mm-hmm. They they were at the border or somebody told them, hey, like, you know, there's there's uh, there's black migrants here and who speak French or Creole, and we need your help. Um, and at first, they didn't believe it. One of the the founders of the Haitian Bridge Alliance was like, eh, "No way! Like, they go through Miami. They don't come through Tijuana." But mm-hmm. sure, I'll go anyway. Uh, the first day she was there, there were about a dozen Haitian nationals there. She stayed a week, and by the end of the week, she realized it wasn't just Haitians. Um, it, which obviously Haitians are from the Caribbean; they're not African mm-hmm. migrants. But um, after that week, there were about 400 black migrants there, and many of them were African, as well as Haitians and Jamaicans over there. And she saw this great need. Um, it's important to understand that most of the nonprofits, humanitarian, legal aid organizations cater to Spanish-speaking clients, mm-hmm. uh, so they're already aren't enough resources for those kinds of people. Um, the resources available for, for those who don't speak Spanish uh, and speak other languages, including French, is, is almost none. So these organizations that cater, try to cater to the African migrants, the black migrants, uh, do so specifically because of the language and cultural issues. Mm-hmm. And because of this new policy that, well, not new, I guess, at this point, it's been around for about a year, (laughs) remain Mm -hmm. in Mexico, Uh, many of these Africans are not finding a chance to cross into the border. Why don't you give us a recap of this policy that has kind of flavored border stories for this past year? Right. Well, so I should note there are actually two policies that Mm -hmm. are impacting, well, actually technically three now, uh, three policies impacting uh, non-Mexican migrants, right? The first one is is metering, um, which says that, you know, if, if I go to the border and I try to present myself to border officials legally and ask for asylum, they will tell me to turn around and come back later. Uh, the argument they say is that there's not enough space for them to process me and hold me for a couple of days. Uh, so just because of logistics, I need to wait. Um through this meeting process. So every day there's like in Tijuana, for example, there are 10,000 people waiting to come into the country and they're going to be waiting three to four months 
that's before they even get a chance to put into a program like Remain in Mexico, which is the second program. It started in January. It forces asylum seekers to live in Mexico while their cases in the U.S. are being adjudicated. Mm-hmm. Um, the process lasts eight to ten months. So you're asking uh, an asylum seeker to live in Mexico and, and in Mexico, some of the most dangerous cities in that country are border cities. So you're asking them to live there for eight months until their cases are uh, are adjudicated. The third policy is referred to advocates as the asylum ban. Mm-hmm. It went into effect in July, so the middle of the year, and is relatively recent. So we don't know too much about what the impacts are. But what it says is that if you're a migrant who presents himself or herself at the U.S. border, but you crossed through another country, mm-hmm. then you're not eligible for asylum. It essentially bans any non-Mexican migrant from being eligible for asylum unless they applied for asylum in another country. Mm-hmm. So for people from Central America, it includes them because they go through Mexico. Uh, people from Africa, obviously, includes them because they went through multiple countries in South and Central America. Um, and those people according to that new policy, which is being um, sued in federal court, are not eligible for asylum right now. They can get other forms of immigration relief. There's withholding of removal and a special type of protection over um, an international statute, but mm-hmm. they aren't as strong as asylum. Mm-hmm. And what's the kind of mood among African migrants? Because it seems like for many there's a willingness to, for some, to stay and wait in Tijuana if things change, if, for instance, Trump loses the election and policies radically change come, you know, a new president. Is that kind of hope still present within these Africans, given that they're, you know, a minority within a minority in a foreign country? I'm not sure if any of them are waiting. I mean... Maybe they are, maybe they're not. Practically mm-hmm. speaking, the cases take so long that by the time they finish, it will be after the election for some of these folks. Mm-hmm. I do know that when they come to Tijuana after months and months of being on the road, they have a, a, a shield around them. Um, um, like, you know, throughout the journey, they face discrimination, right? They, they mm-hmm. got robbed, they got beaten, they, they have these... Um, walls to protect themselves so by the time that they come here they are very suspicious of anybody they don't want to talk to anyone even people offering help they're very skeptical and that's what the advocates who cater to these populations say is that you have to really work very very hard to earn their trust and it does help that the the founders and some of the folks who work for these organizations speak their language Mm -hmm. have the same you know skin tone that they do they look like them they talk like them so it really helps them build that trust and break down the uh, the barriers that were placed in there for their own survival throughout the journey mm-hmm. and now that these policies have been in place for some time are we seeing fewer migrants in general trying to come to Tijuana and seek asylum has that flow changed which was more or less the goal of this administration I think it's kind of hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um, we won't really get a big picture maybe until next year. I, I don't trust the month-over-month numbers um, just because they, they fluctuate 
um, so often it's hard to put a historical context on those. Mm-hmm. Like, so for example, um, normally there, there's a certain time of year based on the weather where migration increases or decreases, and you mm-hmm. see that with border apprehensions, right? So in the summertime it will go down because it's too hot, and then wintertime it'll go up, but then around um, the holidays it'll also go down because people don't want to travel like you know, mm-hmm. Central Americans are very Catholic Christian countries. They don't want to leave home during that time. So the month over month, like, yeah, it fluctuates, but it could be because of the weather or it mm-hmm. could be because of the holidays, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think with a little bit more time, we'll be able to really see what the impact is. Mm-hmm. We do know that at the pressure of the U.S. government, the Mexican government has taken several efforts to stop the flow uh, from the Mexico-Guatemala border to the U.S.-Mexico border. Mm-hmm. Uh, around August, they started restricting the number of uh, transit visas that they give to to migrants. So these are like a 20-day visa that lets you travel through Mexico. Uh, that stopped. So if you go to the city of Tapachula in the southern, most southern state of Mexico, mm-hmm. you will see a literal tent city mostly made up of African migrants who are not able to legally go through Mexico. Mm-hmm. And they're camped out in front of the Mexican immigration office to try to pressure them to get them visas so they can apply for asylum here. Um, whether they're eligible or not, you know, most likely they won't be, but they still have a legal right to apply just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So it seems in a sense that even though the flow itself is not entirely reduced, enough uh, barriers are in place that, in a sense, the Trump administration's stated goal of preventing all forms of immigration, or drastically limiting them at least, has succeeded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say so. Uh, you're starting to see some of the early numbers from Remain in Mexico in terms of how many um, people have actually been given asylum, and it, it's 11. Wow. You know, uh, as of September, 11 people had received asylum who were part of this program. Um, the overwhelming majority of those cases are still being decided. They're still pending, right? Of the, there's, I want to say maybe like 8,000 have been completed. Out of those 8,000, um, 11 were granted asylum, 5,000 were denied, mm-hmm. and the rest, which is almost half of them, were um, terminated without a decision being made. And that's mostly a judge didn't feel that the, government attorneys made a strong case mm-hmm. um, or they they messed something up with the with the date or the time or the address and they just dismissed the case. Um, just in terms of the numbers with African migrants going up through Mexico, um, in 2002, the Mexican government counted 460 migrants from African countries that interacted with their immigration enforcement. Mm-hmm. Last year, that number shot up to 2,700. Wow. Um, and this year, so between 2017 and 2018, I'm sorry, between, yeah, between last year and this year, the number more than doubled. Mm-hmm. It went from it went from 2,700 to 5,800, mm-hmm. right? And that's the biggest number that the government has given in this in these type of reports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of goes to show where the the global politics sort of are right now. Yeah, yeah, it really does. All right, Gustavo Solis, thank you so much. Thank you. In other border news, the first four of new eight lanes planned for the San Ysidro Port of Entry are open. On Monday, Q 
commuters waiting in Mexico on the west side of one of the busiest land border crossings said the wait time was between 15 and 30 minutes, far less than what they're used to. In total, there will be 34 new lanes once the entire project is completed, which has been ongoing since 2011. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. If you also like your news in your email inbox, we've got you covered. You can sign up for breaking news, top headlines, business, sports, entertainment, watchdog, caregiving, and more. We've also got Boletines en Español, plus emails for Pacific Magazines, and a host of community newspapers. Just go to uniontrib.com newsletters. Until next time.